asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. In recent weeks, we've really focused on some ways that listeners can boost their income. Uh, so whether that's through starting your own side business and growing your network like Hala talked about, or when we talked with local realtor Alan about diving into investing in real estate, well, what better way to test the waters? While you are away, your home could also earn extra income. That's right. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you're traveling, because that's all you need to become an Airbnb host. It's a lot easier than you think, and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house. You could just host your extra spare room. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Supercharge your work decks with AI-powered Canva presentations. All you do is start with a prompt. You describe your, your presentation in a few words, and Canva presentations will generate captivating slides that you can then customize in seconds. Canva presentations are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, marketing, HR, ops, and more, Canva presentations can generate any deck you want for work. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Any department can save time on any presentation with AI. Generate slides and seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I am Matt. And today we're discussing navigating college decisions with Alicia Howard. Today on the podcast, we're speaking with certified college counselor, Alicia Howard. She has been in education for 15 years and worked in college admissions for five years before starting College Insights in 2015. At College Insights, Alicia helps students navigate college decisions through academic advising, resume building, and applying to the right schools. She is passionate about college students avoiding the crippling effects of student loans so this will be a really valuable conversation for anyone considering college, for students who are already in, in school, and even for graduates who already have student loans, as we'll touch on that as well. So Alicia, thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me today. Yeah, we're glad to have you. And Alicia, real quick before we start talking about college, well, we intentionally, Matt and I drink a craft beer on every episode. It, it means the world to Matt and I. We love beer. <laughs> and so, uh, and, so and we love our families. And we love our families. <laughs> and so we, we love both equally. I don't know, something like that. But yeah, it, because we love beer, it, we're, we're happy to splurge on really good beer right now while saving for the future. Today on the show, we're drinking a beer called Hot Foo by North Park Beer Company. And uh, our listener, John, sent that one our way. So what's your kind of craft beer equivalent? What, what do you like to splurge on in the here and now, even while you're uh, saving and investing for the future? 
Uh, traveling. Traveling's a big one for me. I lived abroad for many years and I've backpacked almost 30 countries. So Whoa. I'm a big traveler. Yeah. So I know people are like, oh, I like to go travel. And I went on a cruise. I'm like, no, I'm I'm a real traveler. <laughs> and uh, I have no problem spending money on that while, you know, also saving for my future. Cool. Very cool. If, if you could snap your fingers right now and kind of transport yourself to, to any country that you've been to, where would you go back to right now? Thailand. Thailand's been on my mind a lot lately. And um, when you travel like I do, I have a lot of places I can couch surf if I want. So my friend called me and was like, hey, I just bought a three bedroom villa on the beach in Phuket. You want to come crash my spare bedroom? I was like, yeah, I will do that. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's something I'm, I'm willing to spend money on. Although it's cheap, it's cheap to do in somewhere like Thailand. So it's not actually a very expensive thing to do. Yeah. Thailand's wonderful. The food, everything so cheap hey, there. You've been there, right? Isn't that I, where you I, rode on the elephant and had like... I didn't ride on an elephant. I walked with an elephant. Oh, you, and, you and, walked with it, but then you were in the river with it and you were right. talking about how it's like, it was this like <laughs> surreal experience. You've, man, you talk so much about that elephant bath. <laughs> it was so I have awesome. done that. I have done it too. Yeah. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, it's so fun. Yeah, and holding yeah. the tigers, that's like definitely one of my favorite things to do. I didn't hold Thailand. a tiger. I'm not that crazy. <laughs> I did. I held a tiger. And by the time we got there, the baby tigers were like taking a nap. And so I told the monk, I'm like, I really want to hold a tiger. So he's like, yeah, I have one you can hold. And I have a picture of me. But this thing is like a Mufasa, like for <laughs> oh a lion gosh. tiger. Like this was like a daddy tiger. And so I'm like, really? That's like, I wanted to hold a little baby. You gave me like this massive tiger to hang out with and snuggle with. But I took it because that's the only shot I had. Uh, I like the sound of your your tiger orphanage. That sounds amazing. I know. <laughs> um, it was very fun. Well, Alicia, how, let's, let's talk some about, you know, our topic at hand here. Like, how did you get started in the world of academic advising and admissions? Like basically all things college related. How did, how did you get your start? Yeah. So that's actually a super long story. But the fast story is that, I mean, I've been in education for, what, 15, 16 years now and kind of started in everything and just took the opportunities that came my way. And so I'm not, I'm a kind of person, I'm not afraid to try things and kind of mess things up. As long as my bosses were cool with it, they're like, oh, you want to plan this camp or do you want to plan this curriculum or how you should create this class? And I just kind of took everything. And so it ended up giving me this very general expertise of a lot of things. But I had graduated college from grad school in 2008. And I was actually going to law school when the economy crashed. And so I kind of had an early midlife crisis. <laughs> like, what am I going to do with my life? And just decided, okay, I'll go back to law school, but I'm not going to go back unless I can figure out how to come out without debt because I had undergrad and graduate school debt. And so I went to Korea. I worked my way up the ladder there and was figuring out how to pay for law school. And, you know, as a default, I figured out how to not pay on my own student loans and get them forgiven. I figured out how to get to law school for free. And then I ended up kind of just helping other people and just fell into it. And I really enjoyed the work. And so I kind of ended up starting a business on accident, honestly. Over time, it's grown, and now I have a lot of good data on how successful these kind of trick tips, tricks, you know, strategies work. And um, now it's kind of at the next phase of growth. So I, I, it was seriously an accident, <laughs> but I fell into it. 
Well, that's cool. And I love that it worked for you in order to kind of curb your student loan debt. Like what, what aspects of consulting and specifically helping people navigate the admissions process were you drawn to? You know, for me, it was, you know, I came from a pretty poor family and my like my parents didn't even graduate high school. So when I was going through the process myself and I was 16 when I went to college, I just didn't know what I was doing. And I tried the best I could, but, you know, I really didn't have support. And what I mean by support is my parents were, you know, gung ho, we'll, we'll back you up. But like they didn't know what to do. They couldn't edit my essays. They didn't know where to look for schools. And so I kind of had to figure that out on my own. And then I just kind of had that passion of, you know, this. there's a lot to this process. And being in education for a long time, I understood it very well, you know, later, but not when I was a kid. So I just kind of had that passion of really helping really middle class families, you know, lower income kids. They qualify for a lot of a lot of free stuff. There's all kinds of nonprofits. Wealthy kids have always paid for it, as you've seen now in college admission scandals that are right. coming up. Um, <laughs> I don't do that illegal stuff, but you know, wealthy, <laughs> well, yeah, but wealthy people have always paid consultants. And so, what do middle class families do, and what help do they have? They have nothing. So, I just kind of had that passion to help help kids that were like me. Very cool. I mean, well, yeah, speaking of the middle class, like there is such a price disparity from school to school, right? So how how would you recommend for folks to determine if an expensive school is worth it? So I'd say that's very, you know, case by case, but generally an expensive school honestly is only worth it if you can pay cash. Period. There's not really an exception because there's 4,000 universities in this country. Like you can't find one that will fit your <laughs> needs and be right. affordable. Now you might not know where to look, which is why people hire me. But I have clients like I have a client right now. Both of his kids are at public schools out of state and it's 60 grand a year. And he's very wealthy. He owns a lot of property in Seattle. And so he has no problem writing a $60,000 check every year. That's fine. He can afford it. That's buying a Happy Meal to this guy. Most families, I'm not going to send him to those schools. It's totally not worth it to get a public school degree for 60 grand a year. That's crazy. So for most people, I'd say if it's overpriced, if it's that expensive, it's it's not worth it unless your family can write a check for it. Sure. And and as we've seen kind of the costs of college tuition creep up and up and by creep I mean skyrocket. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. They've gone it's gone up so fast and it's become so daunting for people when they are choosing what college to go to. Do you ever recommend for folks uh, to go to for students to consider choosing a community college instead for the first couple of years to kind of keep those costs low and then uh, like transferring to a college that maybe is a better fit for those final two years? It can be. It really depends on the student. I mean, I see students I mean, one like me, there was no way I was going to do that. I really wanted that four-year experience, and I do see the value in it. Now, do I see the value of coming out with $200,000 in debt? No. So, like, there's wiggle room there. And it depends because, you know, some community colleges are not that affordable nowadays. So it just depends where you're from and where your your costs are. But for some people, yeah, I, I have a lot of students where... They just have no idea what they want to do. They don't even know what they're looking for in a college. Yeah, maybe it's a smarter move to just stay home and go to a community college. Um, we have somebody in our family right now. This is a great example. Uh, she didn't know what she wanted to do. Actually got a sports scholarship to go play at a community college. Ended up not wanting to stay there, but her boyfriend was out of college. Um, he's at Western, which is a school here in Washington. 
So they were doing the long distance thing. Well, she took some time off and now she's at a community college near her boyfriend who's at Western and it works really well for her. You know, she still gets the experience of the four year, um, the four year experience and friends and, you know, interacting with students at that school, but isn't paying the price. And she still gets she lives in an apartment with a friend who is at Western there. And so she's still getting that experience, but without the cost. And then, you know, she'll probably transfer there at some point. But, you know, there's ways to have that experience without paying that cost if you're kind of in that middle ground of not knowing what to do. So there's definitely validity to it. So on the other end of that, right, you know, with a four-year college like that, you're getting that experience. But do you ever think that that it makes sense for a high schooler to not even considering going to, going to college at all? Right? Like, like we said, like we are seeing the cost of college become prohibitively expensive. And like a lot of recent graduates are even in jobs that don't require the degrees that they've just worked so hard to get or that they've spent a ton of money to, to receive. So do you ever have clients that come to you where, you know, sometimes you even advise them that, you know what, like maybe college isn't for you? Oh, yeah, all the time. And I'm advising it more and more. Um, now, like, obviously, there's certain students, you know, like, I have a bunch of clients this year, it's just kind of odd, it worked out that way, but they want to be doctors. Okay, well, you want to be a doctor, you want to be a teacher, like, you have to go to college, there's Schools no way around required. it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But then there's people who, even like my my nephew who's 19, you know, my sister was like, what do we do? I'm like, he's not going to go to a traditional four-year college. He's going to go to a vocational school or get do some sort of like trade. That's just what's best for him. That's the kind of like he's that person. I could see him being an electrician or something. And that's fine. That's great. Um, if you can go to a great trade school or go through an apprenticeship program. I mean, here in Washington, we have such a shortage of electricians. They're making like 100, 120 grand a year. And the training for it is really good. Like you can be making at 21, 22 and not have the debt and be making six figures. Yeah. I mean, why not? You know, it is for some for some students. It's it's a great option. So for for high schoolers or parents of high schoolers who are mechanically inclined, what direction do you push them in when it comes to trade schools? How like what's the best way for them to kind of go about pursuing work with their hands or work in the trades? Yeah, I usually recommend because usually a lot of times they don't know what they want to do and that's kind of where they get stuck. So I'll usually advise and I have a lot of relationships here in our area and be like, hey, can you job shadow this kid for a couple of days? Like let him tag along and see would he be a good electrician or, you know, commercial plumber or welder or, you know, those kinds of things and see if they like it, you know, if they have a skill at it. And if that's something they want to do, then, you know, we'll hook them up with those mentors and kind of send them down, down that path and get them going that way. I love that. I, I think it's amazing that, <laughs> like, I mean, your company's called College Insights, right. but at the same time, you're also keeping in mind that sometimes like the best path for some of these students to take isn't one that actually involves college. So yeah, I think that's, that's smart. So well, Alicia, we are actually going to talk some more about college. We're going to talk about kind of the admissions process and how to pay for college. And we're going to get to those topics right after the break. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. They are committed to high ethical standards and even had to pass a rigorous exam before they could become a CFP professional. 
They offer financial planning and services that take a more comprehensive view of your financial and personal circumstances and are customized for your needs. Certified financial planner professionals can offer advice on a wide range of issues like reviewing your investment portfolio's allocation, handling an inheritance, rolling over a company retirement plan, building education savings, and so much more. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Kachava is the all-in-one superfood shake made up of high-quality plant-based nutrients. It's got greens, superfruits, plant proteins, antioxidants, adaptogens, probiotics, and in other words, everything your body craves to feel your best. This is where Kachava really earns their 52,000-plus five-star reviews. It tastes amazing. It's creamy and smooth with just water, and it comes in five delicious flavors. You can choose from chocolate, vanilla, chai, matcha, and coconut acai. Kachava is offering How to Money listeners 10% off for a limited time. I've been using Kachava in breakfast smoothies in the morning recently. It's just so nice to pack in a bunch of nutrients early in the a.m. in a way that's satisfying and energizing. So if you want to optimize your breakfast, your workout shake, be sure to check out Kachava. Just go to Kachava dot com slash how to money that's spelled k-a-c-h-a-v-a and get 10 percent off your first order that's k-a-c-h-a-v-a dot com slash how to money and now a word from the show sponsors at betterment do you want your money to dream big do you want your money to be a total self-starter are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough don't worry betterment is here to help Betterment is the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal, rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line, and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money is breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Let's say you've been listening to the podcast and now you're finally ready to start implementing some of the uh, the financial morsels that we're dishing up. Maybe you are trying to save up some more money for a down payment on a house. Or maybe there's a big vacation that you have been dying to take. Well, the money app Monarch. They make it so easy to help you to reach your financial goals. That's why the Wall Street Journal, they named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, collaborate with your partner even. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. And you won't get spammed either. Monarch features ad-free privacy you can trust. They will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. That's right, man. And after trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. It just makes sense. It works. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash howtomoney. For your extended 30-day free trial, go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney for an extended 30-day free trial. All right, we're back from the break. We're talking with Alicia Howard, and we're talking about 
navigating college decisions. Okay. And Alicia, let's say that our fictional student here is has declined to go to a trade school. They're interested in a traditional four-year degree. Let's talk about navigating the admissions process. What are the biggest things that most folks applying to college don't even consider during the process that could actually end up really hurting them? Oh, man. So I have a perfect case right now with the client. What I'm about to tell you is going to save you about $20,000. So you're going to listen. (laughs) Keep your ears open. Listen up. (laughs) Yeah. So what most parents don't realize, because most parents went to college 30 years ago, right? And they applied to one school and it was a little application and it was easy. It's not like that anymore. It's so competitive that we have all these essays and all these little pieces of paperwork that have to be submitted, all this financial paperwork, like just a lot of stuff. So... I recommend that you probably need a solid year, ideally, to really get through this process. My average student's writing 20, 30 essays. There's multiple applications. The application's more complicated. There's just a lot of stuff that goes through this process to really navigate it and make sure the family and the kid are meeting their goals, right? So it's a long process. What most people do is they lollygag or they don't realize it's important. And they end up submitting their applications in January, February, March, when is that's the later deadline, often called the regular decision deadline. Most laws, so in seven states, there's actually this is actually by law. I will tell you, if it's not by law in most states, it's definitely a practice by most universities. What happens is once you get your admissions letter, that kind of triggers to the financial aid office that the, the next step kicks into place. So your offer letter comes. Well, at every university, they're you know tight on funds. There's only so much funding. And that gets awarded basically in order. So the sooner you've submitted all of your applications, the sooner that goes to the financial aid office, the sooner you're... The more money they have, etc. When you wait until like February to submit those applications, there's only so much money left. Gotcha. And so and a lot yeah. of kids wait till like July to do their FAFSA and stuff. Well, money's gone. And there's no money left for them by then. <laughs> There's no money left, even if they like would have qualified for something. So the earlier you get your applications in, I am seeing a difference of about twenty to thirty thousand wow. dollars in offer money. Because um, remember, most of those applications, the scholarships are offered freshman year. So if you don't get it freshman year, and there's exceptions to this, but if you don't get that money freshman year, like you're not getting it all four or five years. So. If you don't get that $5,000 scholarship freshman year, that's $20,000 over four years. Why? Because you didn't get your stuff in on time. You waited till January, February, March. If you would have gotten that in by the like November 1st deadline, you get significantly more money. Now, my students, I aim for a deadline of September 15th. Dang. <laughs> which don't tell don't tell the kids, but that's actually because I I know I'm not going to get their work until October. Yeah. So, like I tell them it's September 15th. That's not actually what happens. But my kids who get their stuff in in September October, man, they get acceptance letters usually within a week or two, wow. right? Because there's there's not a lot of kids doing it at that time. Yeah, so. the admission staff doesn't have a whole lot of a whole lot to read right th- right then, right? Yeah, They're like, approve, approve. <laughs> yeah. So my admissions rate. So I have a hundred percent admissions rate over my what eight years doing this because what happens? Your admissions officer's in a better mood. Like they're getting through them faster. Again, it depends on the school, but they're getting higher acceptance rates. Plus their offer letters are significantly higher. So 
the easiest way to save money on school is to get your stuff in early and don't wait like everybody else does and call me in like November or October. God forbid January. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Like you're not so going to get any money. There's no money left. It makes me think of like when we go to the grocery store and it's the beginning of the month in our budget resets and we have a fridge or not a fridge, but we have like a, you know, a full gallon of milk. When I'm making my coffee, I pour a lot of milk into my coffee <laughs> yeah. because there is a lot of milk. But you know what? Once we're getting towards the bottom of that jug of rationing milk, it, I'm like, oh, you know, there's just a little bit left. And so I tend to be more conservative. But uh, but yeah, I had no idea that it had that much of an impact when it comes to financial aid. Uh, just getting getting your foot in the door, getting your name in the door, getting on their list. Yeah. And then too, earlier. Like, like the compounding effect of getting Four it freshman years. year and then and then getting those. Yeah. The recurring funds for years on end. That's huge. Yeah. No, especially middle class families. That's super important. Again, it's different if you are Pell Grant eligible or different things. That's a different set of rules. But if you're a middle class and you're not going to qualify for a bunch of grants, man, your best bet is to get those scholarships, your departmental scholarships, your university scholarships, your academic scholarships. But the best way to get those is to get them early. By February, March, a lot of that stuff's gone. So the only your best bet was to do it early, but because you just couldn't get organized. It's just so sad. I see so many families. I'm like, man, you just like couldn't get organized early enough and you like cost your kid 30 grand. Well, so, you know, Alicia, you're talking about how it's like a year long process, right? Just basically applying to school. You're talking about the importance of those essays. What about just other extracurriculars in high school? Like what are most college admissions uh, departments looking at are like are they looking you know for you to be involved in a bunch of clubs like I was in high school even though I, I barely went to them <laughs> but <laughs> I was a part kid, huh? I was that yeah. kid totally I was a part of a ton of different clubs and I had minimal involvement in, in every single one of them or are they looking for maybe more initiative are they looking for a student who's maybe like the president you know of a certain club Matt was the kid in chess club playing checkers <laughs> yeah right yeah, so it, it depends on the school. Now, if you're going Ivies, that's a very, very specific profile you're looking at. But most schools, I mean, they do kind of want you a little well-rounded, but they want you more focused than they tell you. Like most people will say, oh, be really well-rounded. But the truth is, is like most people who are experts, and we all know those people, you're good in one thing. And you're really, really, really good in that one thing. So like a good example like of a good profile is like be really good in your, you know, one, two, three things, right? You're really great in football or maybe a couple different sports or you're really strong in your key club because you're a great volunteer. Be specific in a, a couple of things. Now, it's okay to round that out with, you know, maybe you do want to do a couple clubs. That's fine. But don't join like 20 clubs. It's a little bit of both. Be Really good in two or three things, round it out with a couple little things, but do something you enjoy. Don't do something like you're going to hate for your college, your high school and college career. What What about the academic side, Alicia, like AP honors classes, like how important are those in kind of factoring in where you fit in the hierarchy when you're applying for college? That really depends on, on the student, but the more competitive of a school you're applying to, the more important it is to have those, you know, AP, IB classes. There are certain schools if you're going to, honestly, like it's not very competitive, so it's not going to make that big of a difference. But the more competitive of a school, the more important it's going to be to have those AP, IB classes. Now, as an educator, I will tell you, it's great to have those just because 
high school classes are so much easier than high than college classes and you're going to get your butt kicked in college if you don't have like if you don't learn steady skills if you don't learn note taking if you don't learn just those skills you need to develop so it's really good to have at least some of those classes just for the experience of it but if you're going to Ivy or highly competitive schools, I mean, even here in Seattle, the University of Washington, it's like a 33% acceptance rate or something. Like, yeah, you better have those school those classes because every other kid does versus you're going to a school that's not very competitive. Okay, one or two AP classes is going to be fine. So you have to learn how to balance it with what your long-term goals are. Got it. So how also, how would you like recommend for students to cull their selection of potential schools. Obviously, certain schools have different strengths, but yeah, like how would you recommend they, you know, students go about kind of figuring out what schools to kind of hone in on? Yeah, that's actually a long longer process than most people realize, but just a few things would be one, go on tours. I always tell people to go on tours. Now, you can go tour schools that you're not even interested in, but they're close to your house. I don't care. Just give me something to work with, right? Because a lot of people like here in Seattle, they're like, oh, yeah, I want to go to University of Washington. I'm like, have you sat in on an English 101 class at the University of Washington? (laughs) Because there's like 800 people. And if you can't focus in a room of that many students, it's not going to be a good fit. Well, that's good to know. It's almost like shopping for a house where you got to go visit 50 houses to kind of even know what you're looking for. Yeah, they just they don't know. Um, A lot of students, you tell them it's a private school and they're like, oh, that's like my high school. But like kids don't know. They're like, well, my high school has 1800 students. They don't know what that means to go to a college with 5,000 versus a midsize with like 15,000 versus a large with 30,000. Like they don't understand what that means. The only way you can conceptually get that in your head of what that looks like is to go to those schools. So I know if you go to a midsize school and you're like, I love it. It was big enough, but small enough. Okay, now I know I'm looking for a midsize school. Hmm. You need like a launch, like a launching point almost. Yeah. Or it's so funny. I've worked with students. I had a student I worked with once. She was set. She had to go to California and I was working with her and I'm like, this girl is always in a sweatshirt. She loves Uggs. She's always wrapped in a blanket. And I'm like, like, you know, you could tell she, she likes to be snuggled. Right. And so I'm like, um, are you sure you want to go to California? Well, sure enough, she's in Colorado. So I love that you're looking at it down to that detail though. Like she wears Uggs. Maybe, maybe Colorado is a good spot. I mean, like always, I mean, I have students that it's very obvious. I'm like, you're not a California girl. Like you want to be by the mountains and stuff, but they don't know, right? Well, all my friends are going to California. Like I must want to go to California. So, you know, you just got to pay attention to those things and what's available to them. Sure. So yeah, what are some of the other factors then that are helping you decide what, what schools people should be applying to? Uh, major is a big one, which sounds really simple, but most students don't know what they want to major in. And so how do you choose a school when you don't even know if they're going to have the program that you might want? So we do a lot of career coaching and, you know, a lot of assessments to figure out, okay, this kid doesn't know what they want to do, but based on their personality, they're probably going to go into something of this sort. And what are some good schools that would support them through that? Um, We might be looking at larger universities that have so many program offerings versus, you know, a smaller college, which is going to be more limiting. So you're kind of looking for those things, major, a lot of things students might be interested in. For example, in Seattle, we have a big, obviously a big tech industry. Well, 
if you're wanting to be a computer science major, but you don't want to stay in Seattle, you know, we do need to kind of take internship opportunities or career opportunities into, into that equation. Obviously, the big one is the finances. And there's so many myths and misconceptions out there where, you know, they think, oh, I have to go to a public school or in-state school because that's going to be more affordable. It's actually completely not true. I'm actually starting to send a lot of students out of state because Washington State just doesn't fund our schools very well. And it's so expensive to live here that it's actually been so much cheaper to go out of state um, than it is to stay here at an in-state school in Washington. So all those little Mm. factors of like the finances and major and, you know, personality, all those things have to go into making that list of schools. Yeah. Well, yeah, let's, let's, let's keep talking about finances and money. Uh, Let's talk about how to pay for college. So Alicia, how would you recommend for folks to make college more affordable? So number one, I would say is start early. Like we talked about earlier. The earlier we start, now we're not rushing the process. We're getting more money. And by default, we're giving you more options, right? And now we have choices. The other best way to make college affordable, and again, this is going to save you guys a lot of money. Maybe not because you have to know what colleges are more affordable, but the list, the easiest way to save money is by the list. And that means which schools am I applying to that are going to give me the best offer or have a lot of components that are going to make school affordable for me. So let me give you an example of of that. So like I said, in Seattle, college is not only a little bit more expensive, but it's so expensive to live here. Um, the average one bedroom, a bedroom, not an apartment, a bedroom near the University of Washington in Seattle. There's a bunch of schools in Seattle. But all these Seattle schools, the average bedroom is going for $1,300 a month. Right? Like a bedroom. That's you can deep. see how expensive this is about to get, right? And so wow. most schools here are going for about $30,000 a year. That is in-state tuition, guys. That's why I get really mad when people are like, oh, you guys just you know, spent money on beer and like blah, blah, blah. I'm like, you guys have no idea. It is so expensive to go to school here, even in state. It's ridiculous. So it's just expensive. However, like a good example is I was, I just sent one of my kids to a school in the Midwest, um, out of state, public school. However, if you're a good student and have good grades um, and they're not even super high, it's like a three, four or something, they will basically give you a scholarship to make it the equivalent of in-state tuition. So it's like 9,000 or 10,000 a year in-state, which is pretty normal, um, lower than what it is in Washington state. However, a bedroom is going for $250 a month. Yeah. Yeah. This school in particular also has one of the best honors programs. They have tons of basically the same options um, that you would have here at some of our larger state schools, but you're paying 250 bucks for a bedroom. So the cost savings, I mean, when you do the math on it, I mean, it was saving like 15 grand a year or something like that. So it's just so worth it to send your kid out of state, they're going to have more opportunities. The other difference being Seattle is so competitive, especially if you're in like tech or nursing or like medicine here, it's just so developed that it's just hard to get internships and paid positions. Well, in the Midwest, not so competitive in in those industries. So I'm actually having students, it's cheaper and they're getting a lot more opportunities for internships by going to some of those schools versus trying to stay in state. So that's just one example. There's a million like that. There's a lot of ways to do it. But 
choosing the right school, having a strategy for what that list looked like, that is a very good way to save money. Yeah. So so it sounds like keeping the cost low, obviously crucial and, and that going out of state can help with that, especially you know if you live in an expensive state like Washington. But that's one side of the value equation. If we're talking about like what your degree is worth when you graduate, how, how much are you taking that into the equation too for these students who, you know, like what are they potentially going to make in their first couple of years out of school? And, and how important is that in the decision making process? Oh, that's huge. Um, we run the numbers on that when we meet and, you know, we'll recommend different things. So like, for example, if you're going to be in like, let's say you're going to be a mechanical engineer. I know all the numbers for national averages for careers. So a uh, quick math in my head, like I know if you're a new mechanical engineer, you know, Seattle area, average market, whatever, like the average is about 60,000 first year, right? First five years. However, I also know once you're about five years out, you get a huge pay bump, right? So you can spend a little bit more money on your degree if you're going to make good money, you know, five, 10 years down the road, right? Yeah. Versus somebody who is going to be like a creative writing major or a teacher or, you know, these things that are very, very minimal increases. Marketing majors, for example, don't make good money for quite a while or they're much later down their careers generally. So if you're going to do that, we need to be very cognizant. And I'm going to honestly be taking a lot of options away from you if you're not a family that can pay cash. We need to be more strategic because, you know, it's so funny. So many parents, they want to be supportive of their kids. And they're like, oh, my kid got this opportunity. And so like they'll go into so much debt to get their kid through school. And I'm like, and I'm actually about to write a blog post on this where I think my headline is going to be something like, please stop supporting your children. <laughs> like, stop. <laughs> Because you're supporting your kids, and I'm using air quotes, and you're going and I just had a family call me last week. They're going to go into $170,000 in student loan debt because their kid got into this school and they really want to go to the school and it's like their dream. Yeah, And I'm like, you're not supporting your kid by putting him in almost $200,000 of debt. Like, stop. Like, you are not helping your child. And a 17-year-old just isn't equipped to make that decision, right? Yeah. And that's the thing. We can't blame the kid. Like, again, she doesn't know. Like, she has no concept of how much money that is. And so mom and dad are like, well, I don't want to not support her. But, you know, it's like you have to take that into the equation. That's a bad idea. We can find a school that will be just as great, you know, just as great of a fit. She'll have a great career opportunity. But let's do it where she's not going into 170000 in debt. That's just asinine to me. Yeah, well, so, okay, let's talk about scholarships and, and grants, right? Paying for school that way. Is there a best way to approach searching and applying for, you know, for these funds? And if a family or a student doesn't do a great job finding these scholarships that are out there, like how much money are they potentially leaving on the table if they neglect this step? Yeah, so the first step is we're pulling money from many different sources. So that's why like these little things, okay, we're going to be very strategic in where you're applying to because I know if you go to these schools, you'll get this offer. And if you go to this school, you're going to get this offer. And there's schools that are just notorious. Like I just know what your offer is going to be because it's just, they're like always the same. And so we're being strategic there. We're pulling money in those ways. 
Now we have a gap to fill. So let's say the school's going to be $100,000, including all living expenses, all in over four years, and they give you enough to cover half. So we need to come up with $50,000 in other money. Lots of different ways to do that. But the private scholarship route, people don't realize how much work it is, how much time it takes. We actually have like a full scholarship program. But just to give you an example, we just finished a a scholarship list for a student. It's 100 scholarships that they qualify for. It took our research team almost 30 hours just to find 100 scholarships. Wow. That's not even the application process. That's just finding the ones? That's just finding scholarships that you qualify for that are customized to you. That took... 30 hours. Wow. So all right, you still have to, to write the essays. And yeah, you still got to do all the work, but like, Wait, just that's not part of the package. Them. You're not writing the essay for them, Alicia? Come on. <laughs> yeah, I'm not trying to go to jail this year. So yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah, it takes a lot of research time. And so what happens is kids give up. And so it takes a lot of time. However, like once you find those scholarships, now you're just writing the essays and that kind of stuff. So it becomes more manageable. But still, I think we, so I just did a video on this a few months ago. So I have to remember the statistics, but it's like enough scholarship money goes unclaimed every year where it would pay full tuition, room and board for 14,000 students wow. a year. So it's, it's a, a lot. lot of money left. Yeah. 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 Wow. So I always tell students, start local, go to your counseling office. Usually there's like a bulletin board or a book or something that they'll have scholarships, you know, and, and apply to a lot of different, it takes a lot of time. So don't just apply to like five scholarships and think that's, that's okay. Invest in it. But the national statistic is you're going to get one in 10 that you apply for. I will tell you in mm. practice, it's like one in 15. And the average scholarship award is like, about $2,500. And that's tax-free. And you guys know what that means. That's a lot of money for a sure. college student to get $2,500 tax-free. So it's definitely worth it to go through that process. Are there any online resources that are super helpful, in your opinion, for people who are trying to dig up scholarships for themselves? Honestly, no, not really. Really? Um, I okay. Wish I, I wish I had a better answer for you. But I mean, there's definitely a lot of online resources. There's obviously like Fast Web and apps like Scholly. The problem is you're really having to like search and find them. Honestly, like if you know how to Boolean search, like Boolean searching is the best way to really start digging into them. So much good information here, Alicia. And, and you know, we've got a few more questions for you, including kind of how to tackle student loans on the flip side when you're out of college. And we'll get to that right after the break. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. They are committed to high ethical standards and even had to pass a rigorous exam before they could become a CFP professional. They offer financial planning and services that take a more comprehensive view of your financial and personal circumstances and are customized for your needs. Certified financial planner professionals can offer advice on a wide range of issues like reviewing your investment portfolio's allocation, handling an inheritance, rolling over a company retirement plan, building education savings, and so much more. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Kachava is the all-in-one superfood shake made up of high-quality plant-based nutrients. It's got greens, superfruits, plant proteins, antioxidants, adaptogens, probiotics, and in other words, everything your body craves to feel your best. This is where Kachava 
really earns their 52,000 plus five-star reviews. It tastes amazing. It's creamy and smooth with just water, and it comes in five delicious flavors. You can choose from chocolate, vanilla, chai, matcha, and coconut acai. Cachava is offering How to Money listeners 10% off for a limited time. I've been using Cachava in breakfast smoothies in the morning recently. It's just so nice to pack in a bunch of nutrients early in the a.m. in a way that's satisfying and energizing. So if you want to optimize your breakfast, your workout shake, be sure to check out Cachava. Just go to Cachava.com dot com slash how to money that's spelled k-a-c-h-a-v-a and get 10 percent off your first order that's k-a-c-h-a-v-a dot com slash how to money let's say you've been listening to the podcast and now you're finally ready to start implementing some of the uh, the financial morsels that we're dishing up maybe you are trying to save up some more money for a down payment on a house or maybe there's a big vacation that you have been dying to take well the money app Monarch. They make it so easy to help you to reach your financial goals. That's why the Wall Street Journal, they named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, collaborate with your partner even. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. And you won't get spammed either. Monarch features ad-free privacy you can trust. They will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. That's right, man. And after trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. It just makes sense. It works. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash howtomoney. For your extended 30-day free trial, go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney for an extended 30-day free trial. Spring cleaning is kind of an annual rite of passage. We've all got to do it, minimize the junk that we have in our house. Emily and I, we just cleaned our closets out. It took hours, but it was so worth it. Now we've only got stuff in there that we love, and it's easier to find everything too. And so, you know, while cleaning your closets is helpful, well, there's something else you can do for your family this spring. Shopping for life insurance with Policy Genius, for example, is a really important part of your financial planning for the year. That's right. Yeah. And here is the thing that's important to remember because you might be thinking you don't need to check out Policy Genius because you've got a policy through work. But even if you have a life insurance policy through your job, it may not offer you enough protection for your family's needs and it may not follow you if you leave your job. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Policy Genius works for you, not the insurance companies, and that means they don't have an incentive to recommend one insurer over another, so you can trust their guidance. Save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. All right, we're back from the break. We're talking with Alicia Howard about navigating some of these tricky college decisions. And Alicia, you know, we, we just talked about some of the different ways to pay for college. We've talked about scholarships. Grants. Um, is there like any type of funding, basically, for college that, yeah, that you feel that we haven't covered yet? Yeah. So one other little trick I use for for students and something they really don't think about is just being cognizant of where you're working and where you're applying to jobs. And so hmm. when you're most students are 
uh, starting to work while they're in college. Um, I'm actually seeing a huge downward trend in that. It's really amazing me at how many parents don't want their kids to work ever. But I really encourage students to work in school for many, many, many reasons. And research actually supports that. It's actually significantly better for students in many ways to work while they're in school. But one thing I didn't know, because I, I did work my way through school, I was averaging um, about 30 hours a week in school. Sometimes I'd drop down to 20, but I always, always worked when I was in college. And it wasn't until I started getting into this line of work that I started learning I really screwed up in that because I was working, but I was making minimum wage and you know, trading time for money. And there's so many companies that offer, you know, education benefits. And you don't have to be a manager or high up. Like if you're working and you're working whatever, 20 hours a week, 30 hours a week, whatever it is, they will pay for a lot of your college. And so like one example of this here in Seattle, we have T-Mobile is based here, as is Dick's Drive-In, which is like our, it's like our In-N-Out burger. But even at Dick's Drive-In, it's a fast food restaurant. If you work there in college, you make right now the wage is 17 an hour. So it's $2 over minimum wage in Seattle. But if you work there, I want to say it's 20 hours a week. Don't quote me on that. They will pay, it's like $6,000 a year or something. What? Wow. That's incredible. Tuition. Yeah. Wow. So they have really low turnover <laughs> awesome. rates for, for fast yeah, food. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a 6K bonus that goes towards school every single... Wait, this is every year? I think it's... Is it every year? No, it's quite a lot because I think it's like 20000 for four years or something. Well, that's incredible. Yeah, it's it's quite a lot. And then like, again, don't quote me on this, but like I know T-Mobile, if you work 30 hours a week and it could be call center, it doesn't have to be in like the stores. They also give you, it's like whatever, five, six, seven thousand dollars in in tuition assistance as well. And so I ran the numbers on this once for myself. Obviously I went to college like 10, 15 years ago, but when I ran the numbers on it, one, think about it, they paid more. Like I was a hostess at a Mexican restaurant. So like it was minimum wage. So they got paid more. And on average it was like whatever, seven, eight bucks an hour more. So it's significantly it was more pay. Plus you got, you know, the tuition reimbursement. Plus people don't think of this, but like how much better would my resume have been (laughs) padded, not just being a hostess, but actually working for a corporation where I learned more skills. But I didn't, I didn't know that. Nobody told me. Yeah. And half the battle is knowing. And that's why we wanted to have you on is because there are these things that people need to know. And yeah, where you work is one of those things that people need to know. Right. And and so, yeah, that's a great tip. I love that. I wanted to ask you too. I've seen some videos that you've created, Alicia, and you've talked about how that there are additional challenges that immigrant families face. And you're an immigrant yourself. How is the college application process different? And what do immigrant families need to be aware of when they're applying to colleges? Yeah. So immigrant families. So it's interesting. So I'm American, but I lived in South Korea for six years and was in higher ed there. So it's interesting because I've been on that side where like I was working in higher ed in Korea and like I had to learn a new system even working there. And then, you know, like I work with my families here and a lot of them, you know, are really well educated. I have a lot of families like their parents work at Microsoft and, you know, they're very well educated, but they're like, I went to college in whatever, India or Japan or like wherever I'm from. It's just a very different system. So for immigrant families, it's just very important to really 
spend time learning the system. Um, and what you see a lot, especially in, in certain families, is especially people from like Asian countries, and I use that term loosely, it's very test score heavy. And so it's very like steady, get good grades, uh, get a good SAT score. And then what happens is like students kind of fall off in other areas, right? Like they're not as well-rounded. They're not as involved. They don't have the leadership skills. And that really hurts them because, again, like if you're applying to Harvard, everybody has good grades and test scores. How are you going to stand out? And that's just we're seeing that at every school of every level. So it's just certain things of like really learning the system in the U.S. and what that means. And that's really hard for parents because like in you know, your culture impacts your parenting, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's really hard for a lot of families to be like, oh, man, I might need my kid to maybe doesn't take that extra AP class or whatever because I need them to do this this other thing to be more more well-rounded. You have a lot of cultures who don't value education as much. And so it's really hard when you have a kid who wants to go to school and you're working with a family who's like, what are you talking about? Just like go get a job as a dishwasher. So you're kind of balancing those different cultures and those different, those different issues. And so it's just, it's finding that balance of ultimately at the end of the day, I work for my kid, right? (laughs) Which a lot of parents don't like to hear, but I want what's best for the kid. And so navigating like the cultural issues, the language barriers, all those things. It's just helpful for them to get a good understanding of how it works here in the U.S. That's crazy. Yeah, there's so much more to it than just what the parent wants. And, you know, there's just like the cultural expectations of the parents, I'm sure that you also have to kind of deal with. How about like military families as well? Uh, are there some specific hurdles that you feel that they have to face? We we recently had an episode with Doug Nordman, and we kind of talked about the GI Bill and just kind of the different benefits that military families can experience. But what about some of the the hurdles, some of the obstacles? So for military families, so I, I did a lot of this when I lived in Korea because I lived across the street from the main military base. So I actually started my admissions career with a lot of military families. So the big thing, one, is especially if they've been abroad for a long time. I mean, you go to the school on base, so they have the like kind of American education system. But the truth is, is like they've kind of been out of the system for a long time. Um, and it's it's different when you're abroad. It's a different feeling. It's a different... I mean, expats, if anybody, any of you have been expats, it's just a different culture. And so a lot of military families, like you have kids who've been abroad for a very long time or, you know, obviously they've moved around a lot. And that creates a disconnect between resources, right? You're, cho- you're switching teachers a lot. You're switching counselors a lot. You might not be able to get the best letter of recommendation because you, you know, you've moved so much. Your teachers have moved because they're Dodd teachers. And so those are kind of specific things for military families. And it's totally doable. You just have to work around it. So staying in communication, if there's a teacher that you really liked, but they left or you left, you might just have to say, hey, would you mind if we stayed pen pals so that we can maintain this relationship because I'm applying to college next year and I might need that letter of rec or, you know, whatever that looks like. But you just have to be a little bit more strategic in how you navigate the process. Mm. Hey, let's talk about student loans for a second, Alicia. And there is, of course, like a crisis is like an overused word in our country. But I feel like, you know, student <laughs> loans, they definitely hit it's that a level, right? Yeah, yeah, we're, it's a crisis. Yeah, we're at crisis level for sure. Uh, and, and so do you have any rules of thumb for like how much in student loan debt a potential college student should take on? Because, yeah, obviously you're trying to do your best to help them go to college for cheaper free. But 
if they do have to take out student loans, how do you kind of help them think through that? Yeah. So, I mean, I think the first thing is like people talk about student loans like they're bad. I don't think that they're not bad. They're bad if they get out of control and are excessive, right? Like I have no problem if someone needs to go take out $10,000, like $10,000 is doable, right? Sure. You can get through that. It's it's when it gets excessive in whatever your circumstances are. So a few things. One is I look at salary the first year out of school. The general rule, like most financial advisors, I'm sure you guys know that, is it shouldn't be more than your first year's salary. However, I will say like I prefer it to be half of your first year's salary. That's now, sometimes I think we're, we're we perfectly on board that. with you there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it, but again, it depends what you're gonna go into. So again, if you're gonna be like an engineer, okay, like I in your first year salary is sixty thousand a year. That's actually like I don't want you to take that out, but it's survivable because again, like five years down the road, you're probably gonna be making well into the six figures. So like a $60,000 in student loans, that's about a six to $700 monthly payment. That's doable when you're taking home $8,000 a month, right? So it just depends what you're going to have versus I have a client, actually, I just talked to a client the other day, you know, they're chiropractors, married couple combined, they have over $500,000 in student loan debt. Well, they're making 70000 each a year. So like when you're making 70,000 a year and you have $250,000 in debt that's not doable. Yeah, that feels so, insurmountable. Yeah, so I always sit with families, we run the numbers and we're like, okay, like again like one client I had last week, I tried to talk the family out of it, but they just wouldn't listen to me, but they're like, yeah, we're going to go into $170,000 in debt for our kid. And I'm like, well, I'll tell you $170,000 is that's going to be about a $2,000 monthly payment. And your kid's going to be making like $40,000 a year. So like, I don't know how you think you're going to make a $2,000 monthly payment making 40000 Your take home is like $2,500 you know, whatever yeah. it is. That's <laughs> not going to happen. Yeah. And th- so that's one thing. Two, we're also going to look at the type of loans you're going to take out. So when you get to debt that high, you're going to max out your student loans, you're going to max out parent loans, most people, which means you're taking out private loans. Now, government loans I can work with. Like there's all kinds of different tricks and loopholes and there's ways we can deal with that. Private loans, I just, I don't have the options as much. Like you're kind of screwed. So, you know, we're looking at, we're looking at that. If we're gonna have to come out with a bunch of private debt, it's not a good idea. So we just have to run those numbers and it's different for everybody. And then we're going to say, like, I'll be the bad guy and say, no, (laughs) you're not going to that school. That's a bad (laughs) offer based on your grades, based on all these factors. You really should be getting this. So that school's not giving you a good offer. It's off the list. Well, Alicia, so I wanted to touch on this. You mentioned on your site how like many folks, they don't know about these loopholes, right? To find free money to help pay back student loans. What is that all about? <laughs> uh, are you up for sharing uh, sharing your insights there? Yeah. Yeah. So what people don't realize is um, like if you look at like taxes, right? Like tax law is very stringent, right? That's why there's tax attorneys and CPAs <laughs> and stuff. And yes, there are some loopholes. And of course, you you know, politicians argue about closing these loopholes, whatever. But for the most part, like it's fairly black and white, right? We've closed a lot of these loopholes over the years and people who know the loopholes kind of know the loopholes. Student loans are, it's very new. And so 
there's a lot of loopholes that have not been closed. So let me give you like an example of this because it's so easy. When I lived in Korea, I paid taxes in Korea, right? I was employed at a university there. And because of that, I don't pay taxes in the U.S., right? So I filed my taxes every year, but I got to turn in this really cool form that basically says, hey, I live abroad. I don't need to pay taxes here. Well, what does that do? That means my student loan payment, I didn't have to pay because my payment was a zero. But how was I able to do that? It's because I was able to be very strategic in how I filed my paperwork. And I had so many friends that what ended up happening was, remember, this was like years ago. I didn't, I wasn't like an expert. I was just trying to figure it out for myself at that point. And I had worked with all these other Americans in my office, and I had so many of them with debt. Well, they were still paying on their loans. And so I was like, well, I can file this paperwork for it. Like, so it was funny. I used to sit there and like do people's taxes on the subway and stuff <laughs> and file this paperwork. And one of my friends, actually, this last year, he's about to get his debt forgiven that way. So he's never had to pay a single dollar on his student loans. Um, and it's about to be actually forgiven here. Um, we just filed the paperwork for it. So you can get it forgiven, but you want to pay as little as possible. It, it, that's one strategy. It really depends what you're trying to do. That's cool. That's so much great info in this conversation, Alicia. We thoroughly enjoyed it. And thank you so much for coming on. Can you uh, kind of tell our listeners where they can find out more info about you? Yes. Um, so our company is College Insights. That's with an S. And they can find us at collegeinsights.com. Uh, they can also uh, call us at 425-507-9069. Um, they can also follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook under College Insights. All the socials. Yeah. I was, I was thinking kind of as we're going through all of this, so much of this could be overwhelming for maybe a, a parent of a high schooler or even a high schooler who's realizing that, hey, there's so much more that we need to consider, mom and dad. And so um, this is great information, but I'm glad that folks can also give you a ring if they uh, need that additional help. Yeah, we have tons of free resources on there. And like my big thing is access, right? Like, again, I started this business not to make money. It's because I really love my kids. Like, right, I'm a teacher. So um, everything for us, like consultations, those are always free. If people are like, hey, worst case scenario, I'm going to tell you, call me back in a year or two if you're too early. So it's it's not like it hurts to make that phone call and then we can walk you through it and say, hey, this is what this is where you're at. This is where you need to be. These are the steps to get there. And then it's really just up to you of how you want to navigate that process. Awesome. Well, Alicia, thanks again for joining us. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thanks, Alicia. All right, Joel, man, that was such a fantastic interview. We covered such an array of, of information, like everything having to do with college admissions, paying for it, we covered so much. I want to know what was your big takeaway from this episode? Man, I feel like we only scratched the surface. There's like so much more we could have asked, yeah, yeah, right? So much more we could have gotten into. But the biggest takeaway for me was when Alicia said, apply early, apply really yep. early, <laughs> and it's going to save you potentially tens of thousands of dollars. And I love that. Yeah, there's more money there. Like it just, it makes so much sense for you as a high school student, if you're listening to the show or you as a parent of a high school student to apply to your college of choice super early on in the fall. If you want to get a good offer letter, if you want that school of your choice to offer you more funds to go there, then apply early. 
I'm totally with you. That one stood out to me. I really like that one. And so mine. All right. My big thing was when she was talking about considering other things, other expenses, other than just the cost of school, right? She mentioned that school in the Midwest that was going to be 200 bucks for a room as opposed to $1,300. Yeah. Huge price discrepancy there. That's, that's massive. And I think a lot of times as students, uh, certainly as parents, you focus so much on the school. You focus on the education. You're thinking about the dreams and the hopes, just everything that kind of goes into it. And maybe you're thinking about the cost of college, but like a tertiary thought is, oh yeah, by the way, like what is the cost of living in that town? I think that's something that a lot of folks are not considering. And if we keep that in mind, I think that's going to have a large impact on the overall cost of college. Yeah. I mean, that price, that's a thousand dollars a month over a thousand. I mean, you're talking $12,000 a year just to go to school elsewhere. And yeah, over four years, man, that's, that's a huge amount of money. So yeah, where you go to school, the cost of living there, that's a huge thing to consider, Matt. Yeah. All right, Matt. So let's get back to the beer that we had on the show. Today, we drank a beer called Hop Foo by North Park Beer Company and listener John sent this one our way. Hop Foo! Yeah. It's written like Kung Fu. Yeah. I feel like I should like karate chop your Zenny optical glasses real quick or something. (laughs) Don't hit me, bro. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Well, what were your thoughts on this beer? This is a uh, West Coast style IPA. Man, it's been a while since I've had a West Coast style. I mean, I feel like everybody's going with the hoppy, juicy New England style IPAs. And so it was really actually refreshing to have something a little more harshly bitter, which is what the West Coast style typically brings. It was abrasively bitter and I dug it. It's like this great change of pace from the kind of the stuff I'm normally drinking these days. And so I really enjoyed kind of having a West Coast IPA going back to the IPAs that I was kind of brought up on, right? (laughs) The ones that I first got into when I first started drinking beer. So this one was a really great example of a West Coast IPA. I I dug it. Huh. So this is uh, an instance where you and I are going to disagree a little bit. (laughs) Uh Oh, okay. Bring it. (laughs) Because, yeah, like this is a West Coast IPA. But for me, I felt like that this one actually was like was really juicy for a West Coast IPA. Like to me, it wasn't really resiny and like overly bitter. And so I felt like it had some of those New England style IPA characteristics. Really? Okay. Yeah, it, certainly it had that hot presence, but it felt really juicy to me. And so because of that, I, I like this a little more than I tend to like West Coast IPAs for okay. sure. Yeah, West Coast IPAs aren't typically my go-to, but this Maybe one... that's why you felt that this one was refreshing Ma- and delectable maybe 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 because <laughs> this one kind of met me somewhere in the middle although it did i did feel like it was kind of more abrasively bitter yeah a good bit more abrasively bitter than a typical juicy style ipa and just because i don't drink those very often it was nice yeah it definitely was nice we're really appreciative of john for donating this beer to the show and joel that's going to be it for this episode uh if you want to find a link to alicia's website college insights you can head over to our show notes at howtomoney.com yeah, Matt, we, we've actually had some questions in the Facebook group recently about how people can find the right credit card for them. And we wrote a piece on our website. You can go straight to howtomoney.com slash credit cards and you can find our favorite credit cards for how you spend because we all spend money differently and the best credit card for you might not be the best credit card for somebody else. So check that out if you're interested. And if you sign up for a card on our website, it does support the podcast. All right, buddy. Until next time. Best friends out. Best friends out. It's brand new season two. 
I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now, this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there.